Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future, I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night.
oil and natural gas investor, radical Islam expert, foreign policy analysis, New York Times bestselling author, entrepreneur, and contributor to Daily Caller. Flash Daily, Lives That Daily Surge, and The Hill, Dan Perkins, will be calling in. Uh, economic expert, public policy analysis, writer for townhall.com, Newsmax, Lives That, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler, PhD, will be calling in. Uh, we have a huge show. Uh, I'm very excited uh, to have everyone uh, be uh, tuned in tonight. Uh, I do want to start with something that's really a huge problem, uh, which is censorship. We have all of these companies, Google, Facebook, Twitter, controlling our speech, controlling how we think, controlling what we want to say, basically taking away our right, basically taking away, you know, our, you know, our, um, sense of reaction because we've seen so many liberals get away with whatever they want to say and whatever dirt they want to put out and whatever they nasty things they want to, you know, uh, you know, put to our attention and spew. But the minute a Republican does it, uh, it they're censored. Uh, they're, they're completely uh, crucified and censored and it's disgraceful. And uh, I want you to see everybody to hear this clip of Trump talking about what he's going to do about Google. And this is a long time coming. I mean, if you look at the Google search, re- search engine and w- what they've uh, been responsible for in terms of corruption these last many years, I mean, 90, 96% of Google search results are liberal-oriented. So there's no wonder why the conservative base is getting such a lack of um, – you know, attention uh, when they search for things online and when they are, you know, reviewing things and and not getting uh, the full uh, story. It's a bunch of liberal propaganda. But uh, one four. Yeah, I think Google is uh, really taking advantage of a lot of people, and I think that's a very serious thing, and it's a very serious charge. I think what Google and what others are doing, if you look at what's going on at Twitter, if you look at what's going on in Facebook, uh, they better be careful because you're, you can't do that to people. You can't do it. We have tremendous, we have literally thousands and thousands of complaints coming in, and you just can't do that. So I think that Google and Twitter and Facebook, they're really treading on very, very troubled territory, and they have to be careful. It's not fair to large portions of the population. Okay? Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. I do want to welcome uh, one of my very first special guests to the show, uh, very good friend of the show, very smart guy, very talented guy. Uh, I do want to give him a huge, uh, you know, introduction, like as I always do, uh, political activist. Well, actually, no, uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to start over. Oil and natural gas investor, radical Islam expert, foreign policy analysis, New York Times best-selling author, entrepreneur, and a contributor to the Daily Caller, Clash Daily, Lives That Daily Search, and The Hill. Mr. Dan Perkins, how are you, sir? Um, basically, my opening monologue, you know, I was – I didn't get to it yesterday, but I, was, I wanted to get to it today. Uh, Trump discussed this yesterday. Uh, he's going to take a look at Google and a lot of these left-wing uh, Internet sites that are totally 
uh, discrediting conservatives and basically putting the algorithm and the search uh, engine um, towards the liberal uh, way and totally putting it towards liberal propaganda news. I mean, the conservative search engine optimizer uh, is, is, is not as uh, common as it used to. I mean, conservatives are getting screwed. I, I was reading a statistic that 96% of Google uh, redirects you to liberal, either a liberal media site or liberal propaganda or something that's not the truth. And uh, that's why this really needs to be regulated and looked at. And I know you've written pieces about this. I know you have thoughts about this, but go ahead. I want your thoughts. Well, first of all, I'm one of those people who've been banned. I was banned by Facebook. I've been uh, banned for any time, books. believe me, and only for me stating my opinion. And it was nothing rude, it was nothing wrong, but it was only because it didn't align with the liberal agenda. Right. And and I, I have you're right, I have written about this on numerous occasions. And um and look and, what happened to Alex really... Jones, for instance. One of many examples, Alex Jones did nothing wrong, and they completely shut him off every major platform. That's one of many examples, but keep going. Yeah. The, 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 the point is, and I know this is going to sound like uh, uh, contradictory in terms, um, so as, as, as I'm famous for on your program, going a different direction, um, we, we have to – we have to look at this particular situation in the context of the Constitution. Yeah. The Constitution, the First Amendment of the Constitution, and I think it's very important that the Founding Fathers made this the First Amendment to the Constitution. That was freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Yeah. But that, that particular provision of freedom of speech is t- terribly, terribly misused and mis- misquoted. It's misconstrued 100%. Right. And that particular provision of the law of the Constitution deals with the government's ability to suppress speech. The private sector is not subject to the free speech portion of the Constitution. There is right. nothing um, I, and I, in, in a piece that I just wrote um, uh, you know, we, 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 we look at it from the standpoint of um, these are private companies, and whether it's the NFL or the Baker yep. in Colorado or whoever, they have a right to decide what's going to happen at their place of business. And if they want to put down rules that say this is how we're going to operate our business, and they say, the NFL says, you can't take a knee and protest to the American flag and, and keep your job or, or be, right. be fined substantially. They, they right. can do that. The baker, the baker was proven at the Supreme Court that he had the right to say, I'm not going to serve you. Right, and he was not in violation of of the the other person's free speech rights. And so the the problem here is, what do we do when right. when the, when the free speech when the speech 
yeah. is determined by somebody else to be uh, hate speech or yeah. biased or, and you, or whatever. And you bring up you bring up a really good point. I just want to kind of kind of interrupt you for one second and let you finish. But you know, the left can't have it both ways. They want to you know whine and complain about. Uh, somebody not baking a baker not baking a cake for cake for a few homosexuals, but the minute um, you know, uh, you know what, what was the other example? They went crazy. Um, oh God, what was it? I forget. Oh, oh yeah, and it, 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 just the double standard. I mean, it, it's all about with that situation with the cake we all know that was a media setup i mean you can't go into a gay bakery and say can you bake me an nra cake do you think they're going to do it i mean everybody's right to tur- turn down uh, any any sort of of service uh, to any sort of scenario and uh, you know these people on the left want to interrogate the people on the right of what they are guilty of. I mean, it's not the people on the right that are guilty of bigotry and hatred. The people on the right are are everyday Americans and patriotic citizens, and they have the right to protect their business. They have the right to deny service to anyone. So does any business owner. This is not about, Mm -hmm. this is not even, this is not even necessarily about what you believe. I mean, you can turn down anyone. I mean, you, right, you, and, and the fact, the fact, and we all knew that this was all this, this whole backlash, and, and all of this was a setup uh, by, by the left. I mean, these gay guys went in this bakery. They they totally uh, had this pre-planned and orchestrated, and they just wanted to right. get publicity. And I mean, it's pathetic because God help us. If somebody on the right did that to somebody on the left, everybody would be screaming bloody murder. Right. So, so the issue double becomes, standard. I always say double standard. Well, but but then then I'm going to swing back the other way here. I'm going to say now wait a minute. Uh, if 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 a business like Facebook uh, has the ability to deny service to a particular person, right. Do they have the right to deny service to a class of people? And I don't think so. I think that's no. That's no. that is bias against right. a, a group of people. And right. so, so I think. Uh, and, and then here's the here's the other piece of the story. I did an yeah. interview on this on Tuesday, and and yeah. and the other piece of the story is. Um. A lot of people who are upset with being banned by Facebook or Google or Twitter or whoever uh-huh. say, well, what we, what we really need, and you're the perfect guy to answer this, the, what we need is an alternative to Facebook. Well, now I'm coming at it from the standpoint it's of It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Wait, Facebook, wait, wait, wait. And wait. I've been, no, but Dan, I'm, I'm going to let you finish. But people have been telling me this, asking me this for a long time, and I'm like, Facebook is so too heavily evolved, and 10 years in, nobody's going to overthrow them, ever. Well, I, I, I take it from a different standpoint, because when, when I did my first book in my trilogy, The Terrorist Perspective, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, 
I talked about five possible ways that the United States could be attacked by terrorists. And one of those five scenarios was Facebook. The, the, destruction, the, the destruction of the cloud infrastructure in the United States. So many businesses and individuals have transferred their computing and storage to the cloud. If you shut down the cloud, shut down the cloud, you limit the ability of people to get in. Well, the same thing is true because because in my research when I did the book, at that time in 2012, Facebook had 300,000 Blade servers. 300,000 Blade servers. Well, it's storage devices where they store... I mean, I, I know what you're ta- I know what you're talking about, but for the the audience that does not know what that means, please elaborate. When you decide that you're going to go onto the cloud to store, yes. you've been you've been you've been uh, solicited by uh, by Apple or or Microsoft or whoever trying to say to you, look, you can save storage capacity and be more secure by moving your operating system and storing all of your backup, all your stuff on the cloud, which is, in essence, an enormous server farm. These are storage computers that allow you to, through the Internet, to access your data about your business, your operating systems, and everything else. And it's stored remotely, away from your computer. And I wrote about yeah. this, that, that, that Microsoft, Microsoft has a facility, it's true story, outside of Chicago, that at the time I wrote the story had over 300,000 servers in one place. It took three power substations to generate enough electricity for the air conditioning to cool the system so that the, the heat from the blade servers would be dissipated. My point is that nobody's out there got enough money to go out and build an infrastructure to compete with Facebook. Because, as you said, they are so mature in their market, they control such a huge percentage of the communication on the Internet, it would be virtually impossible for somebody to come in and and begin to compete with them. However, however, I believe a case can be made, the Sherman Antitrust Laws, need to be applied to Facebook, and it needs to be broken up, much like we did with, uh, with uh, Standard Oil and AT&T. They have formed a monopoly, and when you form a monopoly, things yeah. change because yeah. the government then has to step in and make sure that the rights of people are protected under a monopoly. It's just like, for example – in your hometown, there's probably only one supplier of electricity, and yeah, that a supplier for there's electricity a quite a bit. in your a few. What? There's a few. Well, the, okay, but what I'm saying is that you might have two or three, uh, right. but in reality, reality, you may have. Again, this is a misnomer. You right. don't have three. You don't have three power companies. You may have three places in which you can buy your electrical power, but the power coming into your house and through the transmission line comes from one power company. And that power company 
is subject to the Public Utilities Commission of the state of Arizona or Ohio or Florida or whatever. And so because they're a monopoly and because they have the potential to take advantage of the consumer, the Public Utilities Commission regulates what they can do. I think either either Facebook has to be broken up into smaller components, which would then allow competition to come in, or yeah. it has to be regulated as a public utility for the and, public good. And let and, and let's face the facts here. Um, you know, you know, Dan. Let, let let's face the the uh, reality. Um, Trump absolutely needs to regulate Google. He absolutely needs to regulate these uh, tech companies coming out of Silicon Valley because they are very left leaning oriented and they have a lot of mm-hmm. one dimensional crooked control that's very biased there was even a new report out like i said earlier 96% of google is controlled by liberal searches so they're tweeter came out tweeter came out this week and said point blank yes. we yes. are a left leaning organization yeah, and Larry Kudlow. Larry Kudlow came out. He said they're going to be doing thorough investigations into Google and in, in, into Facebook and into Twitter. And even the CEO of Twitter is going to be forced to testify uh, at the beginning of September. Not that that means much. We saw with Zuckerberg. I mean, he didn't do. I mean, that guy was a weasel. I mean, he, we didn't get much out of him. But I'm just saying, you know, these tech people. Uh, I will say this with a definite. Uh, answer that the last person they want to be messing with is the Trump administration. Because if you want a bunch of regulations, if you want your tech business to be completely screwed, and you really want to play hardball, and you don't you don't comply with fairness and balance and what you know should be uh, in in you know uh, you know what should be uh, in place in, in our society then Trump's going to give you nonstop regulations like you've never seen before, and then you're going to have no choice but to comply. And you know what? Like I've said before, Dan, and I've said it many times, it's just like with Trump with any of our enemies. It's always Trump at the end of the day uh, with the winning hand, with the guy, with the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the guy that has all the cards, the guy that takes control, the guy that is going to prevail one way or the other. You're either going to make a deal with with him or you're going to suffer badly by him and he's going to make you pay. I mean, that that's basically what it is. And I don't, I don't say that to sound like an angry, uh, uh, mad person. It's just the reality of what Trump is. I mean, if you don't comply with him, if you try to give him a bad deal or you try to bullshit him uh, and you try to, you know, lead him down the wrong path, and you try to screw over his people, he's going to hit you back a hundred times harder. And that's just that; those are just facts. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing hey, a piece. I was writing on it. Go ahead, Valerie. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm late. Um, I've been listening, and the thing is that I think the mistake that these online organizations are making is that you know originally they were they were just forums for people to put their information. And they've really changed their venue. They've changed their corporations into almost lobbyists. You know, if they're going to decide who can be on and who isn't, they're no longer open forums. They've now become... Um, they've now become editors of information, and that changes them legally, and it changes 
the whole, what I saw is the purpose of, of yeah. Facebook or Google or Wikipedia or any of these and, organizations and that have become liberal. Yeah. Go ahead. And you bring up a, and you bring up a great point because let's not forget who donates a bunch of money to Facebook and Google and all these online uh, internet companies every year. So much money from the Middle East. Let's not forget where they get their money from. This is no secret. Um, there's a lot of controlling um, over these uh, uh, these uh, online sites like Google, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Dan, I know you wanted to uh, uh, chime in on this. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. That's okay. I just wanted I wanted to follow up with what Valerie was saying. She was she was actually anticipating what I was talking about. Is that or wanted to talk about? It, is that because they have changed their business model, because they have decided that they want to restrict not free speech? What they're doing is res, is restricting the flow Picking of information. Is what you're basically saying. I'm sorry. You're basically saying picking and choosing. Um, yes, but but I want to be more specific and use the word res, restricting. If if, yeah. if they're restricting the flow of information, re, remember that that it wasn't it, it wasn't Al Gore who entered who invented the internet. The invented the internet. <laughs> God, he the, said, I can't the, believe he ever said that. I still laugh about that to this day. Go ahead, though. I know. So, but 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 the point is that the infrastructure of the internet was built by the government, not by private sector. Google right, and Facebook, exactly. didn't, they didn't build any of the infrastructure that they're using, and they pay no fee for it. They pay no for fee for, for using the, the infrastructure of the Internet. So what I, what I think that they're where they're vulnerable, and I agree with you, Roy, if they're going to mess with Trump, I mean, if the, if the Democrats move. haven't figured Bad out by move. now, if they haven't figured out by now that when Mr. Trump says he's going to do something, he will do it. And and I just yeah. finished a piece. I just yeah. finished a piece on trade and the tariffs. Everybody yeah. was talking about when Donald Trump said that he wanted to protect American jobs and American businesses, and he was going to impose a 20 or a 15 or 25 percent tariff on aluminum and steel, and then. It, quote, ex- it, it expanded into, quote, a trade war, and it was going to bring recession to the world, and millions of people were going to lose their jobs. This is what the left was saying. But here we are today. Mexico has come to the table and wants to renegotiate NAFTA, get rid of it. Canada, who was reluctant, has now decided they're sending a minister here by tomorrow to begin discussions. The European Union has already decided they want to create a new trade deal with the United States. Japan's already made a deal. So that only leaves one major exporter, and that's China. And, yeah. and tariffs is an absolute loser for China because the exports from, the United, from China to the United States is in excess of 5% of the gross domestic product of China. The amount of money that what we ship to products and services to China is one tenth of one percent of our GDP. So a trade war with the United States is much more dangerous to
to the Chinese economy. And so what's going to happen as these trade deals fall in place with Mexico, Europe, um, and Canada, and Japan, China is going to be forced to capitulate because they're going to want the other countries are going to want the same kind of terms from China that they're getting from the United States, and everybody everybody's going to put pressure. That's all because Donald Trump had a strategy that says you bring yeah. the people to the table to talk by putting yeah. a, a cost for not doing it, and that's what the tariffs were. And so yeah. he's going to be proven right again. China's going to come to the table, and when I said to you last week on the show that if yeah. China comes to the table along with everything else, GDP yeah. in this third yeah. quarter of 2019 will be north of 6%. I still believe that's going right. to be true. So it's well, all part I of mean, the strategy. I mean, the pe- yeah. Go ahead. It's all part of the strategy of how he's going to deal with this restriction of information, the flow of information, and controlling information from all these Internet providers. And I think yeah. that you're going to see – a possibility of a threat of Sherman Antitrust or regulation as a national monopoly and of taking them to, taking them apart. Yeah, you make you make a great point, and uh, you know I, I want Valerie to touch on this real quick, and then Dan, we're going to go into some stuff. But Valerie, go ahead. Well, I um I agree with Dan, and I think that um. Trump, like you said, he's had this whole idea, <coughs> excuse me, out in front, which, you know, when he tra- when he decided to get rid of NASA <coughs> and just deal with Mexico alone, I thought that was the most brilliant move because he was just basically saying to Trudeau in Canada, we don't need you, and if you don't want to deal with us and you want to start a trade war, we'll just go straight to Mexico. And, you know, I think that, the, that Trudeau was thinking, well, you know, um, Trump and, and, and the Mexican president aren't going to get along because of the whole wall situation. And he charmed him and figured out how, how to make a good deal, which is good for everybody. It was good for Mexico. It was good for us. It was good for all of our citizens. And now Canada's kind of left out in the dark. And if, like you said, if they don't come to the table, they lose. And um, right. I think you're. Yeah. I think you're right. I think he'll play the same card with Canada, with uh, China, and um, you know his his negotiating skills are really making a huge difference in world trade. And I think he's really kind yeah. of recreating w- the world trade, just as he's kind of recreating the Middle East. And Valerie right. goes back to exactly what I said, Dan. You know, <laughs> in terms of, you know, it's these countries that need us way more than we ever have ever needed them. I mean, these countries mm-hmm. rely on us. They count on us. I mean, they basically get on their hands and knees, especially now that we have a new sheriff in town, Donald J. Trump. Uh, we all know they uh, took advantage of the uh, the wimp, uh, uh, Barack Hussein Osama. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a different kind of story. But let, let's talk about, you know, how we are being respected again. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great thing. We what we don't what, what the left is not willing to talk about and the media is not talking about 
yeah. is that the GDP of China is t- about $12 bill- trillion dollars a year. They're losing the GDP so much of the United money States on a daily about- basis. The GDP of the United States is about $22 trillion. So what did you say double. China was? 12 Oh, wow, so China's way behind us right now. Oh, yeah. But if you look at the if you look at the mainstream media, you'd think that they were our peer. Their economy is as big as our economy. It's not. Well, you read it. You said it right. We are, we are the biggest trading partner in the world. We are the, the world. Right, and we are we are fifteen to sixteen percent, maybe even more now with the re- recovery. Maybe close to twenty percent of the total GDP of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, I want you to stay on the line. I do want to welcome uh, leaders of Blacks for Trump. Michael, how are you, buddy? Hey, I'm fine, brother. How y'all doing today? You were at the Indiana rally uh, just tonight, and President Trump was speaking. And I want to play this quick clip. Uh, about Trump on Hillary and Dr. Bustler, I know you're on the line. I'm going to introduce you in the next yep. couple of minutes. But Michael, the black man, Michael, leaders of Black for Trump. I know you're Michael, the black man on the radio. You're a good buddy of mine. Uh, you know, we've we've uh, hung out many times. You've been over here in Arizona to see me. Uh, I do want to play this clip though from the Indiana rally today, and uh, I thought it was great what Trump said about Hillary. It's hilarious. Uh, one more. Today's Democrat Party is held hostage by left-wing haters, angry mobs, deep state radicals, establishment cronies, and their fake news allies. Enemy of the people. Our biggest obstacle and their greatest ally actually is the media. You can believe it. We've got stories that are so big and the media doesn't pick them up. We have stories that if that was about a Republican or a conservative, it'd be front page of every newspaper. And we have them and they just don't want to write them. It's a dishonest group of people. I will tell you that. That I can tell you. You can have the biggest story about Hillary Clinton I mean, look at what she's getting away with, but let's see if she gets away with it. Let's see. Get walk her off! Walk her off! All I can say this, our Justice Department and our FBI at the top of each, because inside they have incredible people, but our Justice Department and our FBI have to start doing their job and doing it right and doing it now. Because <laughs> people are angry. People are angry. Hell yeah, we are. What's happening is a disgrace. Absolutely. And at some point, I wanted to stay out, but at some point, if it doesn't straighten out properly, I want to get do in their it. job. I will get involved and I'll get in there if Hell I have yeah. to. Disgraceful. And the whole world is watching, and the whole world gets it, and the whole world understands exactly what's going on. 
America's Savior, the second coming, God's gift to earth, a bulletproof man, invincible, miracle worker, an angel sent from heaven, every name you can think of. Michael from Black for Trump, can you agree with me that Donald J. Trump is the second coming and America's Savior and and God sent him to earth? Well, I can tell you he is Cyrus in Isaiah 45. Cyrus was a Gentile that saved the children of Israel. And it said that he was the Savior and the deliverer of our people in Isaiah 45, 1 through 8. So he is absolutely the Gentile side. You got, but you need two. You need the Jew and the Gentile, the black man and the white man, and the white man. So that's why it's great when we stand together. I am... And my brothers who work with me are the Joseph to Pharaoh or the King David to Hiram, the king of the Gentiles, or Nehemiah to Cyrus. That's who we are. And when those two are in unity, Revelation 11, 8 through 13 said a great fear would fall upon them because the whole body of Christ is the Jew and the Gentile the black man and the white man. But Cyrus has to be the great warrior because that's what he's created for, to disrupt and destroy the Babylonians who got the black man and the white man in absolute absolute slavery. And the white man has now finally awakened and is now tired of being a punk and allowing these bastards to run them over like they don't exist and stop apologizing to black people for what these Canaanites and East Indian Africans adored us and got us in slavery and own everything in America. White people are as broke as I am. They don't own nothing, right in their own damn country. So white people, wake up! Your your deliverer is here, and his name is Donald J. Trump. So you either get your ass up and help him after he has given his life and given up his opulent life for your stupid ass. You better get your ass up and and help this man, and you better win these midterms and get everybody out to vote everywhere. Because Trump, if Trump don't get your backing, they're going to impeach him, and they're going to kill us, the black people. Don't allow it. You're supposed to be warriors. Stop being punks and stand Michael. up. Michael. Gird up your loins like a man. And fight. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Michael, 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 yes, real sir. quick. I know everybody wants to respond to Michael, but I want to ask Michael a very important question real quick. Michael, yes, you're my brother, and you're on my side, but if a civil war breaks out, we're going to have to take on the left-wing nut job, and it's not going to be much of a problem because we've seen what that entails, a bunch of, uh, lo- a bunch of people marching through the streets with different color hair and piercings. And uh, different goofy outfits. I don't think it's going to be too hard. No, it it won't be too hard. First of all, they won't even fight if we get upset enough to want to fight. They won't fight. They're just (laughs) going to back down by being scared or feeling bad for them because they always act like they're helpless. They're weak and you're picking on us. Damn damn that. Give me liberty or give you death, nigga. Sorry about that. Y'all, don't, y'all can't use that word, but I can. No, it's okay. Hey, Michael, Michael, I really want to say something very important, and then we're going to get to everybody on the line, and this is something that 
you know, I got a lot of praise from from black conservatives yesterday, especially people on the right. And you know what? It, it offended people on the left, but go figure. But let's let's face the facts here, Michael. I've met. I want to. I want to say this clearly. And I I said this at the end of the show yesterday, and I'm sure you listened. But there's a big difference between a nigger and a black gentleman. There's right. a big difference. You have all these people that are out in the streets acting like fools, making the black people look bad. But then you got all these black gentlemen and black patriots that are working hard to fight for America. And it's the same sort of thing with us, with stupid fucking white people, white trailer trash. I call out those motherfuckers all the time. Same thing with the illegals in our country on the Mexican side. I mean, that goes on and on. I'm not being racist at all. I'm just, I'm just saying that there's been people that have been thanking me for not – you can't you, – if you really look up the definition, you can't put a black gentleman in the same category as a nigger because – and I no. don't want to say that word. I don't want to say that word too much. I've said it many times well, on this I, show. I, I can say making it. a point. I making it, a what, point. What, what, I don't do it to insult anyone because it doesn't go in my vocabulary. But Michael, do you do you know what I'm trying to say? Right, because see, uh, white people. I got a video on my website where Robert Byrd and George Wallace call white people nigger. He said they're white niggers and ignorant. Yeah, white look up people, the definition. Yeah, yeah. Thirty percent of the hangings of black people in the South were white Gentiles, and they are considered niggers. And they even called you deplorable. When they said deplorable, they were actually saying nigger. We are all niggers together in their mind. So once you understand that there's two different kind of a white people, there's a white African that's a Canaanite. His daddy was Ham, the father of all Africans, and he was cursed white. The Gentiles are not cursed. They just mix with the Canaanites, so they light, bright, damn near white, but they still have melanin in their skin, and they can stand out and get the sun. Hillary can't get the sun. She's a Canaanite, and she looks down on all Gentiles. And if we don't press that point and get everybody to know that there is a difference, because the Bible says the sons of perdition must be revealed and moved out of the way, or the two brethren will not unite. And guess who the two brethren are? They are Shem and Japheth, the Jew and the Gentile, the black man and the white man. Once the black man and the white man comes together, it's over for them. That's why the Bible said when they see the two brethren yeah. stand together in unity, a great yeah. fear would fall upon them in Revelation 11, 8. So when they saw me standing on stage with Trump, they said, oh, yeah. hell is over. And you're goddamn yeah. right. It's over because you yeah. can't use that. He's a racist game with me standing up there because I'm a real black man. Right. And if, if somebody really looked up the real definition of nigger, it doesn't even mean a black man. If you really look up the definition, it can be uh, uh, said to any sort of any sort any sort of person, and it's well, even been said to white people. It's not. It's so irrelevant. The definition of nigger actually means dead. It comes from it, it comes from the word necromancy or dead man. Uh, white Gentiles are as dead as black people. They don't even know their nationality. They don't know that their daddy was Noah, and Noah was a Hebrew. Every black man and white man on earth is a Hebrew because your daddy was a Hebrew. I don't care what nationality you call yourself because Isaiah 40:17, God himself said, no, all nations don't matter. There is no nation. 
the only nation there is are the are the children of the saints, the nation of saints. So we are the children of God. Psalm 82, 6 said, have you not read you are gods and children of the Most High through Noah? So Noah was a Hebrew, and if Noah was a Hebrew, Shem, Ham, and Japheth is a Hebrew, and Japheth in Genesis 10, 1 through 5 is the father of all white European Gentiles. Read it yourself in the Bible. That means you are me. We are the same people, just lighter in color or darker in color. It makes no damn difference. Our daddy is one man, Noah. Ham is a, even Ham is a Hebrew. Canaan is a Hebrew. But they are cursed and disinherited Hebrews, and they're the ones that's ruling the world, using us against each other, uh, making calling each other racist, and then and then make us look bad to each other while they stand on the side and get all the money and get rich. So I'm cutting all that out now by standing with Trump. We must win the midterms. Our lives are at stake. And I'm fighting. Like they say, what are you doing out here? I'm, t- I'm out here to win the midterms. What do you mean? You mean? I, I, I'm taking it personally to make sure that Trump has all of his king's men and all the king's horses are there Hell to yeah. make sure his policy goes through or that's our ass. And I'm not into Bro, giving you- up my ass. So I'm you fighting. are a dude. You are a hero. You are a superstar. You are the leader of Black for Trump. You took. I am literally absolutely no, nobody. Michael, let me finish before I want to give you a yes. great. This is an accomplishment. What I'm about to say to you. Yes, Trump only won eight percent of the black vote. Guess what? The black Trump support vote is at now thirty six percent. Michael, yes, sir. you are the leaders of Black for Trump. You made this happen in so many ways. You inspired Kanye and, West. And, and you Kanye inspired West Candace Owens. And, you inspired Brandon Tatum. You inspired all this ver- these various black conservatives. Trump to speak their mind, man, Trump, homie. And Trump inspired me. You see? So I give the credit what credit is due. That man, when he stood up, because I saw him go to the Black Pimps Ball, I seen him help uh, Russell Simmons when he was trying to get money to help rap. He financed it, and, and when he helped Jesse Jackson run for president, and he helped he helped Al Sharpton. All these black trumps who are like dogs returned to their vomit got helped by this man. And you might not know him, but Trump is a real nigga. He is a black man. In his he's heart, a real he's nigga, man. Dope. He's all he's around he's all a, of them. He's a real dude. He's a real American. N I G G E R is different from N I G G A. When I say he's a I real said nigga, a. I said A. I did a not black say E R. I don't say E R. I say A. I said it like you said it. Oh, I said okay, it like you good. said it, buddy. But Trump, yeah. Trump is a real black man, and that's yeah. why I'm so upset with Jay Z because he wouldn't have even existed if Trump hadn't financed Russell Simmons and all these punks. Now that they have been helped by Trump, Jesse gave him an award in the 80s. Don't forget the coalition, the black coalition in the 80s who gave him an award for doing so much for the black community. Jesse Jackson, you remember? That's, that's what I'm talking about. Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. Don't leave that Trump out with his punk behind. Y'all scared to face them dudes. But I tell them, and, and I cuss them out to their face, they're scared every time they see me because they know I'm ready to fight. I don't give a damn. You're not going to call this man a racist Uh-oh. when he's out here to help us and he actually got your job, taking away all the taxes, all that other stuff y'all talking about. I don't need that. Just give me my damn money. 
I don't want no damn regulation and tax, high taxes. The Bible said 10%. Trump first mentioned 10%. You know why? Because he's acting like the savior. Because you think slavery is being whipped on with a whip and picking in the cotton field. That's not how the Egyptians had us in slavery. The Egyptians had us in slavery by taking away our straw, which means they took away our money and made it harder for yeah. us to live. And that's what these yeah. East Indians who are the Egyptians are doing. They're taking away our money with regulations. You got to pay taxes. You got to pay toll. You got to pay water bills. All this stuff that you're not supposed to be paying, you can, but they don't. You can't be, you can be foreclosed on, but the Cherokees and the East Indians, they can't be. God damn all that. We need Trump to get rid of that crap so we can be free. And all, if we pay, if 380 million people Paying 10% of tax, this country would be so rich it would be crazy. That's what we need to do. And if we don't do it, we're going to die anyway. Because you can't make no money. But nobody ain't going to pay taxes if they actually have to pay 41%, which is what Obama had us. It's insane. You got a lying cheat. So you, if you take it down to where God said, then nobody would have a problem with paying to help their infrastructure and stop all these right. congressmen from getting all these goddamn gifts. And then we, if we just follow the 613 laws of the Bible, which is what the man who wrote the Constitution said, he got the uh, 613 laws from the Bible and made it into a word called a Constitution. That man wrote that, and I'm with him all the way. So I'm just telling you, sir, we have got to support Trump. And you, we got to fight. I, and I, I'm, right now, I'm gonna have to be the one to fight against these black leaders because everybody else is afraid to to approach them. But I just changed a bunch of real black men's minds yesterday on my radio station, and they're trying to get me out of the way because they know I'm the only one can actually reach these black people. I can reach the game. I can let black people know it ain't no black on black crime. It's East Indians who own the stores in the black neighborhoods who bring the drugs in, who got unregistered guns. And they're the ones that are doing the drive-bys because all of the gangs, they don't even know where the hell the shooting is coming from. From what I told them the other day, it was like, damn, yeah, you know what? That's what's happening. Nobody could figure it out. But that's what's really going on. And they've got us blaming each other. Man, damn that. I am for my Gentile brothers. If you read about Shem and Japhet, Shem was the older brother of Japhet, and Japhet was the father of the Gentiles. And guess what? Shem would kill your ass if you even said something negative about his little brother, Japhet. Go read Flavius Josephus and see how Shem and Japhet got along. That's why we get along today. That's why we love each other. That's why when I go into Trump's rallies, everybody says, ah, they go crazy. Why? Because we actually love each other. We just ran away Antifa today. They out there screaming. And then when me and my brother walked up with the with Black to Trump sign, the Gentiles went berserk. Even the police was clapping. <laughs> God damn, all man. I loved it. I love it. Calling us racist. How the hell are you going to call me a racist, nigga, and I'm a black man? Get the hell out of my face. And we went off on their behind. <laughs> and uh, Infowars and, and uh, RSVN, everybody was feeling we were going off. They could not believe <laughs> I existed. They said, why are you not in the, the rally? Because this is more important. We got these bastards out here calling us racist. I couldn't even go back in. I was I thought I was gonna go back into the um the rally, but it became more important in my mind to run them punks out of town. We yeah. ran, we whipped they behind. Yeah. Every camera you worse was watching. Huh? You whooped that ass. You whooped that ass. That's what we did. We whooped that ass. They cannot believe they went through that. 
because they they're not used to black men doing it. Then we had all our <laughs> white brothers get behind us, and them white brothers, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you damn right. Hop your your happy ass over here. We will whoop your ass. We not no chump. We not no fuck. No, we we're trying to. Don't worry. No, it's okay, guys. Calm down. Damn that. Damn that. I'm like Trump. Trump says, "Uh, uh, you the devil, Hillary." That's what our white brothers got to start acting like. Hold it. I gotta call you back. Uh, the Trump people call me right now. All right, call back in this show. You are very well said. Thank you for attending to the rally. God bless. Michael Blackster Trump, he'll call back in. Um, whoa, but uh, I do want to welcome one of our very special guests and Dan Stay on the line, um, economics expert, public policy analysis, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, LiveZet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler, my, my great friend and good friend of the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing real well, Rory. How are you doing? Very interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of just speechless just now, and I'm sure Dan was, and I'm sure Valerie was as well. I was just kind of listening. I didn't really have much to say. I was kind of, you know, just seeing where uh, yeah. leader of Blacks for Trump was going, where with you where he was going with the conversation, which he has a great point. He has a lot of valid points. Um, Michael, I yeah. really want to talk, talk, but Dan, I know you have thoughts about what Blacks for Trump just said. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I wrote an article recently on the, the amazing transformation of the black community to yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. And I said in the article, I don't know whether it will hold it will at, at 36 percent, which is over four times what it was when uh, less than two years ago when he won the election. When he got elected. Right, right. And 36, 36, 37. Uh, what I find is significant is that that is a significant portion of the That's Democratic huge. vote. Yep. And so even, even when they said it, even when they said it got past ten percent. Well, the Democrats are pretty much screwed. Once the black votes, once they're once they don't have ninety percent of the black vote any longer, they're pretty much screwed. I did a I did a column this week where I think I sent it to you, the uh, the ten reasons why the Democrats are not going to win the midterm election, and right. and I I think the black vote may be it's what the they count critical on. Term. Oh, uh, no question. Let's, and let, let's face I it. They, they, haven't, they haven't won the white vote since the 60s, since JFK. Yes, and, and I, I, I remember that, the, uh, that when Donald Trump went to the black leaders in Detroit, and he, he basically said to them, what have you got to lose? Yeah. Exactly. You don't really have anything to lose by voting for me. And because look at the Barrett Cody debate for them. Lowest black unemployment in history. In yeah. one year. So, in one so, year. Right. So, you know, I I I I'm I'm very optimistic. I think uh that he's not only he's he's making similar inroads in the Hispanic vote and in the Asian vote. Yep. Oh yeah. And you look the at Kanye is, West and you look at Kanye West came out today. And, you know, he came out actually yesterday, I think it was, 
and he's saying that Donald Trump will be the best black president, uh, will be the best pre- uh, president for black Americans ever. And Kanye West is now meeting with Jim Brown, and Jim Brown is now pro-Trump, and Jim Brown thinks Trump's doing an amazing job, and Jim Brown's one of the greatest running backs ever in, in NFL history, if anybody knows anything about sports, and I'm sure everybody does on this program, um, but he played for the Cleveland Browns back in the day, but you got two of the biggest powerhouses, not to mention, you also got Floyd Mayweather and Mike Tyson, two of the greatest fighters, two are probably the, the best two fighters of all time in boxing that love Donald Trump and said, yes, 100% support Trump. And you've got all of these different nationalities and races uh, that are supporting Trump. So the whole race card and the whole Trump is the racist and Trump, you can't really use that anymore. When you have somebody like Floyd Mayweather or Mike Tyson or Tiger Woods, Another guy, Tiger Woods is a good friend of Trump's, and he's a supporter of Trump's, and we all know, and I've known for a long time, Tiger Woods is a true conservative. He always has been, and he's a good friend of Trump's. Um, So you have all of some of the greatest athletes ever to walk the face of the earth, and they're right by Trump's side, and you have all this hate uh, going towards these athletes, but at the same time, you have a lot of love and a lot of people opening their eyes and, and are like, wow. Maybe Trump isn't so bad after all. Maybe these athletes. Because look, let's not let's face it, guys. Um, I don't want to talk too much longer, but let's face it. People look up to athletes. People look at athletes like they're gods in in a lot of in a lot of aspects. They look at them like they're role role models for uh, their everyday lives. I mean, and it's one of those things where it's monkey see, monkey do. Um, you know, if they see these athletes uh, starting to support Trump. And maybe, you know, it's a uh, kind of a a follower situation where they follow their lead and, uh, you know, see that uh, these people and and these and the and what they're why they're supporting Trump. It's for the greater good. Um, And I'm sure uh, I want you to respond real quick, Dan. And then, Michael, I want to talk to you about a lot of things. I'm sorry. Who did you say? Dan, I want you to respond real quick about what I just okay. said. I want you to yeah, I, I just, I just because I, have, I have to leave, but, but. Uh, but stay on, stay on I, for about I, 10, 15 more minutes because we want to talk about some economic <laughs> stuff. We have a great economist on the line. I would, I would love it to have you on for a couple more minutes. I, uh, it's already 11:30, and you had me okay, up. Okay, 11:40, so. and then you're cut off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, up. but please speak, please speak on what I just said. I I I think it's important, and I and I, you know, just one other anecdote on on the Tiger Woods situation. Uh, the the media went after him because like crazy. he he said that you have to have respect for the office of the president. Yeah, and yes, I've played golf with him. Yes, I've had dinner with him, and. Uh, but you have to he have respect like for him. He seems like a class act, and I'm sure he is, right, Dan? Yeah, but here's the follow-up piece. Today online, they interviewed Jack Nicholas, who is the yep. the the winningest golfer in history. And Jack and he Nicholas, complimented, he complimented him. Yep, on Breitbart, I saw that. Yep. 
that, that Tiger Wood conducted himself with honor and dignity, and we should have respect for the office of president. And yet we have a whole section of our country that doesn't respect the office of president. And, um, and, and I just think that that's I, – I really want to believe in my heart of hearts that that's really changing and that, yeah. that Donald Trump was, in fact, hired by the American people not because he was a choir boy, because he was an agent of change and right. the country needed we, an agent right. of change. We, we, did, we didn't hire him for our moral compass. We hired him for our CEO. We hired him to make us a ton of money. We hired him to get all of all these record-breaking uh, economic numbers like he's doing, like never seen before. We're living in the best economy of all time. That's why we hired him. We didn't hire him because he's, uh, you know, uh, we, hi- we hired him for what he's done best at, and we all know what that is, being a successful billionaire. And, you know, with a B. And, you know, you know, you got all these things, and, you know, I do, I, I Dan, stand the line, um, Valerie, real quick, and then I want to go to Mike. Okay. We have a lot of economics. Yeah, questions. I have a little comment, because I, I, I think it's amazing that, you know, Trump is able to bring in groups, and normally, you know, I'm against the idea of groups, you know, the white, the black, the this, the that, the other thing, but the fact that he's able to bring in um, athletes, to me is amazing because you know the left yep. has Hollywood and and, and the Kanye has, West, the, the arguably right. the best rapper of his generation. Exactly, and he's black, so they he's able to bring in he he crosses all of these groups. He doesn't care what color you are. He doesn't care, you know what your path you know what your path is. He just wants to bring in Americans because they're American. And I think yeah. as much as Obama made groups and 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 made and divided those groups against one another, I think Trump is bringing them together. He he's the yeah. anti-Obama. He's taking away yeah. all of the damage that Obama did by dividing our country, and he's crossing yeah. over all of that and bringing us together. And I, yeah. you know, when I when I heard you talking about the athletes, I just thought it was an amazing thing because for all these yeah. years. You know, Hollywood is always against the Republicans. And if he yep. can get the, the athletes, who I think are much more important, as yeah. you said, for, um, for leadership like when positions you have the great, for up when you have two, generations. The two greatest fighters, when you have the two greatest fighters of all time, Floyd Mayweather, Mike Tyson, you have Tiger Woods, you have all of these, Kanye West, you have all of some of the biggest names ever in history supporting Trump. I mean, this is a big influence. This shines a huge light. Agreed. And who cares about Hollywood? I mean, they're not role models. They're just people that say lines. I mean, if you want to talk about real heroes, these guys have morals and values that, that our next generation really should model. And I think it's right. so much better to go from, you know, to go to these guys. That, and, and I just never even thought about it before, but I think Trump's got something really big going on here. And, and and the more he brings in, the better, you know, the more he can build up the Republican Party and his ideas. Yep. Hey, doc, Dr. Michael Bussler, I want to I want to get your thoughts yeah. on this real quick, and then I want to get to a lot of economics. 
But uh, what are your thoughts on, yeah. on what, what's been going well, on? I know you, you've been hearing a lot. I know you haven't had much yeah. to talk, and I know it's a lot to take in, but uh, I, I'm really curious. Yeah. I know you're a very smart guy, and you have a lot of insight. So please go ahead. Well, well thank you. So, so um, the uh, black community has voted overwhelmingly Democrat for, for years, and mostly because, um, yeah, many of the black community live in inner cities, um, and um, where there's not a whole lot of opportunity. Uh, so the Democrats that generally run the, the large cities uh, have simply um, been able to give them handouts. And it makes the uh, black community dependent on the government for their survival even. And this gets locked into generations. And um, I think what is happening um, the, the black people are very proud people, and they really don't want to take the handouts. It's all that's been uh, offered to them, so they've really been forced to take it and then vote with the Democrats in order to keep it. But what Trump says is um, everybody, black people and, and everybody, uh, really don't want handouts. What they really want is opportunity. They want yep. opportunity to be able to earn their, uh, their own keep, to be able to take care of themselves, to have some pride in what they're doing. And what Donald Trump is doing uh, is growing the economy so much that there's opportunity for, for everyone. And the black community is, is saying, uh, look, the unemployment rate uh, for blacks is at historic lows. Trump is providing opportunity. We don't need these government handouts. Roughly 4 million people have uh, dropped off the food stamp rolls, not because cu- Trump is cutting food stamps, because these people don't need it anymore. They're uh, able to take advantage of the opportunities that are given to them and earn enough to pay for their, for their own food. And that's why you're seeing from 8% um, of the black community supporting Trump up to 36%. I'm not worried about that being just a little blip and it'll go away soon. I think that that number will be built upon. And as the economy continues to grow and black people uh, prosper more by taking advantage of opportunities, by becoming entrepreneurs and succeeding, I think the black community um, the uh, approval of Trump in the black community will only increase. I want to make a comment on that because I agree. And as yeah. you were yep. speaking, I started thinking about the tradition <laughs> of Jewish people voting Democrat. And I think yeah. Obama went a long way to bringing real Jewish quick, people Valerie, into the I Republican Party. Valerie, can I say can I say something real quick? Just to interrupt you real of quick. About you're, right, you're right, Valerie. You're right. Just about, I, and I know Valerie, I want Valerie to finish and, and say her point, but I know I, I might know where she's getting at, but I'm, I'm disgusted, and I'm going to say this real quick, uh, of how Jewish people uh, vote for people like Bernie Sanders and the communist agenda, the same sort of, um, all, you know, situation and list that killed uh, millions of Jews and and their people uh, and took away their guns and all of these uh, things that they're trying to put in place now. I mean, there's no difference. But, Valerie, go ahead. I think you make a great point, Rory, and it, I'm very disturbed by it myself because if you look at the tradition of the Jewish people and what we believe in, it really makes absolutely no sense to to even think about you know, voting for Bernie Sanders, 
not to mention the fact that he's Jewish himself. Um, To me, it's not logical at all. And I think as time goes, um, hopefully, you know, more people will continue to move on over to the Republican Party as 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 Obama gave us his gift, you know, he, you know, Jewish people looked at what he was doing and, um, and, and really there are so many more Jewish people on the Republican party as a result, but not only that, but Obama, I mean, um, Trump has done so much for Israel that I think, you know, on his own merit, he, he's earned a lot more Jewish votes and, and I know Israel is really thrilled with him. So, not only the black vote, not only the Jewish vote, but I think section by section and group by group, uh, 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 Trump is just really earning his own way. Oh yeah, uh, that, Roy, can I just go ahead, Michael? Can I jump in there real quick? Oh, Dan, Dan. go ahead. Yeah. I I think there's this is an important part of the discussion. Uh, not that the rest of it hasn't been important, but but this this this. The the analysis of why Jews and or blacks historically have voted Democrat, they voted they voted for two totally different reasons. Um, our, our guests who talked about the people in the black community uh, did not have opportunity. The Democrats were in charge of the big cities, and the blacks voted Promising for the Democrats. All the free the stuff. Don't forget about that. Right. But the Jewish people, uh, and 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 I don't know Valerie whether you're Jewish or not, but my my experience in life in working with liberal Democratic Jews is that that's exactly the order of importance in their lives: liberal Democratic Jews. Their religion yep. is last. Their yep. their political structure of being liberal is first and so yeah here's how i describe it dan i'm glad you brought this up they're democrat they're they're communist first they're jewish second um well i i I hear what you're saying i think dan is that how you were trying to describe it no valerie hold on i don't dan is that how you were trying to describe it I'm not, I'm not saying that they're communist. I'm saying that but they in a are sense, liberals. They're they're liberals first and foremost, Democrats second, Jewish third. That's their oh, order wow. of third. priorities. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. Their 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 religion or their ethnicity is last of importance to them. They yep. are liberals. Liberals first. Democrats of second. the liberals, and I think the I agree with you in a sense. The liberals are the are the reforming and somewhat conservative Jews. The more religious and the more observant they are, they they become Republicans. And I think it all has to do with the fact that the Torah talks about tikkun olam, which is repairing the world, and that traditionally is the underdog, the helping the underdog. And when Jews were immigrating over to the United States from Eastern Europe. You know, in the early 1900s, you know, they came from communist com- countries in, by and large, and they were escaping. Yeah. So when they got here, they still had the socialist ideal in their mind because that's all they knew, and that's where they were coming from. But as time yeah. went on, well, except for the FDR, I mean, believe it or not, after, after the Second World War, 
the third time FDR ran for office, the Jews voted 90% to, to reelect FDR, even though he, you know, sent that sent back to SS St. Louis, back to, you know, back to Europe, to you know, whoever all those Jews that were on that boat, and even though he refused to allow 20,000 Jewish children from Europe to come into the United States when the quotas weren't even full. So to me, it makes no sense why Jewish people would vote for FDR, but still to this day, they think that in general that he is their hero. Franklin Roosevelt, so yeah, the communist. But we, we let, let's only spend two or three more minutes topic. on this topic, and then I gotta mo- we got to move on to more headlines. But two or three more. T- I, I'm fine with talking about this, but only two or three more minutes. I know Dan wants to respond, but Valerie, finish. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay, thank you. So basically what I'm trying to say is that a lot of it is tradition, a lot of it is coming from social country, socialist countries, um, but I think now things are really changing as, as um, Trump is willing to put himself out on the line and, and support Israel, and he went out way out of line to, you know, out of normal, um, the, normal the norm for a president to go out and say, we're going to move the embassy. I mean, it took a lot of chutzpah. Um, for him to do such a thing, and and you know, I think that that's really affecting the Jewish vote. Yep. Um, and with that, Roy, I gotta go. I gotta go. All right, we're about to talk about NAFTA being abolished. I wanted to keep you on for about two more minutes. It's not quite eight forty-five, but hoping you would stay on for another few minutes. I know you wanted to hear about this. Okay, I'll give you two minutes. All right, stay on, uh, Michael. Doctor Michael Buckler. <clears throat> Um, my yeah. favorite econo- my favorite economist, uh, a great, uh, brilliant man. He's a doctor. <laughs> a PhD, he has a PhD. He's a, a very smart professor at Stockton University in New Jersey. He writes for many big media outlets. Um, I want to know your thoughts on NAFTA being abolished, and following that, the stock market hit record highs uh, with, with the, the the following with the trade deal in Mexico. And yeah. besides that, besides that, leaving Canada out of the entire thing still hit record highs. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So here's here's the thing. Um, virtually every economist um, will favor free and fair uh, trade, and the reason is simple. Um, take a look at uh, the U.S. is very good at at growing wheat, so we can use a small amount of resources and get a large amount of wheat. We're not very good, for instance, at growing coffee. It would take a lot of resources. We wouldn't get much coffee. You take a country in South America, say Colombia, Colombia is exactly the opposite. They don't have the, the climate and the expertise to grow wheat. However, they're very good at growing coffee. So what do we do? We have the U.S. grow all the wheat. We get a whole lot of wheat. We have Colombia grow all the coffee. We get a whole lot of coffee. And then you trade both sides are better off. So we all favor free trade, but the trade has to indeed be free and, and fair. What happened with NAFTA, for whatever reason, we signed a free trade agreement uh, in 93. It went into effect in 94. Um, but for whatever reason, yeah, we gave our trading partners a big advantage over um, over us, <clears throat> the example I like to use is, suppose you're playing a baseball game. We're playing a baseball yeah. game against Canada. We get three outs every inning. We feel for whatever reason we want to help the Canadians, we'll give them four outs an inning. 
Well, after a couple years go by, you start to recognize we're losing every baseball game. So what, what happened when they had the G7, Trump said to Trudeau, listen, we've got to square the field here. Everybody's got to play with three, three outs per inning. Initially, Trudeau said, okay, that makes sense. Then he went back and talked to his um, Canadian people. <clears throat> the dairy farmers had a problem with that because <clears throat> the U.S. is extremely efficient at producing dairy products. As a result, they produce a product, let's say they're willing to sell for a dollar. Uh, the Canadian dairy farmers said to Trudeau, listen, it cost us three fifty to to make this. So as part of NAFTA, uh, Canada had a 270% tariff on dairy products. So something that would sell for a dollar, there's a $2.70 tariff, knocks it up to $3.70. Now the... Um, Canadian dairy farmers can stay in business, but it closes the Canadian market to the U.S. producers. So Trump got in and he said, look, I'm I'm taking a look at NAFTA as well as the agreement with the European Union, China, Japan, and South Korea, for instance. I'm looking at these, and all of these agreements are slanted in favor of our partners and to the detriment of the U.S., So Trump came in and he said, listen to our trading partners, we're going to renegotiate all this. The trading partners said we're reluctant to do so because they knew they weren't going to come out so well in the negotiation. So so what happened? Trump is not a politician. A politician would convene a summit sometime in the fall, meet with the leaders sometime next year, then we'll come back and talk with some proposals the following year, and we end up kicking the can down the road to the next president. A politician yeah. does that. A business yeah. person sees a problem, and especially if it's going to affect his bottom line, a, a business person will confront the problem immediately, which is what Trump is doing. Now, you can't get the trading partners to come to the table. So what does a business person do? You create a sense of urgency. And so he puts these tariffs, which are clobbering our partners and not hurting us, hurting us somewhat, but not nearly as much. As a result of that, Mexico comes over here. We negotiate a new NAFTA deal that's close to being a free trade agreement. Two weeks ago, the head of the European Union was here saying, um, we're going to work together with the U.S. toward totally free trade, where we have no tariffs on, on anything. Um, And as soon as the agreement with Mexico was announced, the next day, Canada sends their economic minister to the U.S. to start to negotiate. I think the Canadians are uh, maybe a day or two away from coming up with a a deal with the U.S. The idea, Trump wants to get really free and fair trade, and that would mean no tariffs on anything. Now, the best he was able to do with the agreement with Mexico, all agricultural products from them and from us will have no tariffs. So you end up with free trade. And then he made some adjustments uh, to the auto industry, mostly because um, if China makes a car and sells it here, we do charge a 2.5% tariff. To avoid that, China was making cars, sending them to Mexico, Mexico would put in the floor mats and the hubcaps and say it's a Canadian, it's a Mexican-made car to avoid the uh, tariff. 
Trump is fixing that uh, also. So this trade agreement, while it's not perfect, is far better than what we had before. I I think it will bring Canada in, and we're going to end up opening up U.S. markets to um, American – foreign markets, rather, to American producers. And I want before Jan takes off, I want to let Dan respond, Valerie, real quick. But before okay, I let you respond, yeah, before I let you respond, Dan, let's just say to uh, Dr. Michael Bussler, to everyone in the audience, uh, lowest unemployment uh, since 1969 as of today, uh, as of the report, and we are having all of these, uh, you know, different. Um, stock market record highs like never seen before. We're living in the biggest bull market ever. Um, Dan, I know you want to respond to what Dr. Michael Bussler said, economic uh, economist, expert, and professor. Uh, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, the uh, the issue that I I, I totally agree with uh, the professor is that that the 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 strategy that Donald Trump has is to bring people to the table, and the way you bring them to the table in his strategy is you 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 make the cost for not coming to the table prohibitive and i think that with europe coming in with mexico coming in and with canada coming in and south korea and and japan coming in china has no choice they were going they're going to have to come in and make some major reforms and as i said earlier in the program the, the GDP of China is about $12 trillion a year. The GDP, GDP of the United States is about $22 trillion a year. And so almost double. Trade with the, yeah, the trade with the United States is almost five, over 5% of the GDP of China. There's way too much at risk for China because the problem that the Chinese have, because they are so dependent on, on export to the United States, there's nobody else in the world that can give him – give China $600 billion a year of trade. So I I agree with the professor's analysis, but I would would say, as I said earlier and and last week, when when and if – I think it's only a matter of when. It's not if. When China agrees to the terms and the conditions, I think we will see a, a gross domestic product in the third quarter of 2019 of over six percent, and um, uh, I, I just think it's going to happen. And and uh, we're going to put millions of people to work all over the world, and we're going to have a much more balanced economy in the world, because as the as as what we heard, South America knows how to grow coffee and how to grow wheat and soybean and oats and. Uh, we will find ways to export, uh, including oil, first time in our history of our country, being a major exporter. So Net I think export, it's, right. the, the stock market is not anywhere near done. As we begin to understand the power of what Mr. Trump is doing and, and Wall Street, yeah. which is predominantly Democratic, all we have to do is look at the contributions from, to the Hillary mm-hmm. campaign versus Trump last in the yeah. presidential election. As the as the fundamental changes take place in our economy, you're going to Wall Street become much more Republican in their thought processes. And with that, I really got to go. 
All right. Well said, Dan. Um, real quick, I want to let Dr. Michael Bussler respond, and then I'll let you go. Go, go ahead, Dr. Michael Bussler. Yeah, I was just going to say, in, in support of what Dan, Dan was saying, calling for uh, saying one quarter next year, we're likely to see a 6% uh, GDP growth. That's even a little more optimistic than, than I am. However, I will say that um, Trump modeled his tax cut after what Reagan did in 81, 82, and what Kennedy Johnson did in 63, 64. That is, they cut taxes for all Americans, middle class as well as the upper class. When Reagan's tax cut went into effect in 1982, 1984 GDP for the entire year grew at a 7.5% rate. So when Dan's wow. saying it, I could go up to 6%, that's very optimistic, but based on past history, it's not uh, it's not out of line. Um, so I agree with him. That, uh, and I also think the stock market. I agree with Dan on this one too. The the stock market has has plenty of upside potential. Remember, people are willing. The the, the price people are willing to pay for a share of stock depends on their perception of how much income the stock will earn in the future. Since corporations' taxes were cut from an average of about 35% down to 21, and since the economy is growing now at over a 4% rate and probably a little higher uh, next year, corporate profits are going to go way up and up significantly. As that happens, that takes stock prices up. So I agree, too, that the stock market has plenty of room on the upside. Yeah, and I and, and I do want to say, you know, there there is. Um, I agree with Dan that the uh, GDP uh, will, if not be in the sixes, it will be in the mid to high fives. Dan, I think it will be uh, very high, and and I think all of these liberals that keep doubting Trump and, you know, they keep saying the market's going to tank. Uh, you know they're in a ta- they're in a uh, you know they're in for a long ride. I'll tell you that much. Real quick, Rory, I'm, I'd like to make a comment about. Yeah, NASA. I know you want to see some Dan. Go ahead, Valerie. Um, so I was on Capitol Hill when, believe it or not, it was a long time ago. You worked um, for you worked for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, but before that, I was on Capitol Hill and I worked on NAFTA. And what I remember most about the opposition was that there was a guy named Richard Gebhardt, who was a protectionist. And he had a lot of power. He, you know, we didn't have the Republican power that we have now. And he had a lot of power to, um, to create, um, it was the, uh, the environment and um, human, um, human rights issues. Those two issues had a big impact on how, how NASA turned out in the end. And I think that's one of the main reasons that NAFTA became such a difficult and not such a great deal for us, um, because those those elements were so important at that time, and now it's kind of fallen by the wayside. So I think as a result of that, Trump was able to take you know take what was good for us and and not worry about those two issues. Not to say that they're not important, but um, they don't have the the um, the clout that they used to have when Richard Gerhardt was in, in the in the on the house side. Yeah, you know Valerie Valerie is is right on this. When um, NAFTA is supposed to be a, a trade agreement, 
But because uh, Gephardt was concerned with the human rights in Mexico, um, he said, look, we really need to give Mexico and really Canada a little bit of, of help here. And that's what slanted these agreements in favor of them and to the detriment of the U.S. Now, Trump gets in. He says, look, I understand all these things are important. However, I want to put America first. So let's put America's interests first in these deals. And then we'll take a look at some of these human rights issues later. So Valerie is right on point with this. Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. Absolutely well said. And I want to let Dan Perkins respond before he takes off. Dan Perkins, go ahead. Yeah, I just I I, I think that that we are we talked about Trump, Trump being hired as an agent of change, and all the things that we're seeing happening are tearing down the democratic structure. And they're fighting desperately to try and keep it alive, but momentum and change is going to force them to either disappear or radically change their direction. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, very true. Well, very well yeah. said, uh, Dan Perkins. Always a pleasure. You're a very good friend of the show. You're uh, a very talented, very successful, very well-to-do. Uh, man, you've uh, had a great adventure and uh, a lot of uh, amazing accomplishments in your life, and I uh, will give you so much praise because you absolutely deserve it. Um, you've uh, you've definitely lived the life, my friend. And uh, for anyone that wants to find out more about Dan Perkins, you can go to correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but it's Dan Perkins dot Guru. Am I correct? That's correct, and uh, thank you, and uh, good night. And we'll, and we'll talk to you next week, Dan. As all, we'll talk to you. We, we love you, and God bless. Okay. So, so Mike, Doctor Bustler, I want to, I want to yeah. really talk to you about something very important, and you know, this mm-hmm. regards the economy. What are your yeah. thoughts of Trump leaving Canada out of the NAFTA renegotiations? I mean, how do you feel about that? Where do you think it leads us? Well, um, Trump doesn't want to leave Canada out of the negotiations. His first choice would be an agreement for, for all of North America. And even in the agreement he has with Mexico, um, it, it says that uh, 75% of the uh, parts that go into cars – have to be produced, he said, in North America. So he really wants Canada to be part of this. After it was announced that the U.S. and Mexico did have a deal, the Canadians, as I mentioned, sent their people uh, there the next day. I think they're in a real close to getting an agreement with Canada also. But as Trump said, we're putting America's interests first. So if Canada wants to join it, that, that's in everybody's best yeah. interest, great. Right. If they're not going to do it, we're going to proceed right. without you. Right. So the ball is in Canada's court now. We would all like to see Canada join this, yeah. but if they don't, we'll have an agreement yeah. with Mexico, and we'll deal with Canada when they're ready to deal. Now, now I think a very important question, and what my audience would probably want to know, and I think everybody wants to know, and you're an economist, you've 
you know, studied. You're a professor for economics. You're a very smart guy. You've had a hell of a background. You've lived one um, amazing life. I do want to ask you, how does it? Let Let's say hypothetically yeah. that Justin Trudeau in Canada does not. Um, agree to these terms of what the NAFTA renegotiations are. Do you say this affects the U.S. economy? Do you say how do you say this? Uh, what do you think happens? I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, That's it, an important yeah, point. it will it will have a small negative effect on the U.S. economy. It will have an extremely large negative effect on the Canadian economy because these trade deals are slanted in favor of our trading partners, we're in a position now where they need us more than we need them. Yep. So um, we, we, can, we can go it. Uh, yeah, we they can go along. And, them. I always say it. Sorry to interrupt you, sorry. It, yep, you're exactly right. And as a result of, of that, Trump is right to uh, wanting to deal from a position of strength, which is why he put the tariffs on everybody in the first place. Um, and uh, knowing that, uh, look, he really doesn't want those tariffs. He wants free trade, but put the tariffs yeah. on, creates a sense of urgency, has us dealing from a position of, of strength. Canada is going to have to come to the bargaining table. If not right away, yeah. they're going to have to right. come relatively soon. Um, China, yeah. as we mentioned just a few minutes ago, the China economy is doing Terribly. Now, terribly by their Poor. standards, it's now, still can not you, bad. Can you elaborate, can you elaborate uh, and be descriptive on the China economy in terms of, in terms sure. of statistic-wise? Sure. So for the last two decades, the Chinese economy has been booming, growing at over an 8% rate, some years up to a 10% rate. Um, the, uh, that growth has been fueled by a lot, a lot by the use of, of debt. So um, if you have a lot of debt, it's important that you earn enough income to be able to carry that debt. As yeah. a result of Trump's trade policies, the uh, Chinese economy growth rate has slowed down to under 6%, and Jesus. it's going down further. And there's now, again, that's not a bad growth rate for everybody. But for Jeez. for China, which has had a much higher growth rate, as I said, all these years, with the debt that they have, that's creating problems. It's also creating a little bit of social unrest there. Um, I think it won't be more than a couple of months until China finally says, look, this is really clobbering us. We're going to have to deal with the Americans. Um, and the Americans say, look, um, we want things to be fair. You know, if we sell a car in China, they charge a 25% tariff. On some models, like the Chevy Camaro, they charge a 50% tariff, which means their markets are not open to U.S. manufacturers. Now, all Trump is saying is we're going to open our markets to you, the Chinese, what you're making, but we want you to open your markets to, to us. And in the long run, there may be a little bit of short-term pain here for everybody, including Americans. There may be some short-term pain. But in the long run, we're going to have markets opened up to us that have never been opened before. That, too, will add to the long-term uh, growth. So I support everything Trump is doing. Right. And you know what I'm, you know what I'm really proud and I'm, I'm applauding and very happy about is uh, yeah. Trump is – canceling 
the pay raise for the federal workers. You know, all these union, you know, entitled pricks think they're owed all of these different things. You know, it could go on and on with these federal workers. But they are, it's like communism in a sense with what they are marching in the streets for. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, there's a few things with the unions. One things, thing that public employee unions were able to do um, was to, to say um, when the department, whatever you're in, like my university, for, for instance, they, they have a, a union. If you choose not to join the union, you don't have to join, but you still have to pay 85% of the dues, the annual dues. As a result, um, some people that didn't want to share the views of the uh, union still ended up having to pay those dues, keeping the unions afloat and with plenty of money. Now, with the recent Supreme Court decision, uh, Janus decision, um, now public employees do not, who, don't, who decide not to join the union will no longer have to pay uh, dues. So what Trump has been saying is that, look, uh, people have a right to either join the union or not, and if the union is, not, uh, is taking advantage of their bargaining position by pushing wages way up and by pushing benefits way up and by pushing retirement plans way up, which is bankrupting municipalities, if they're going to do that, Trump is going to fight back and say, you can't do it. We've got to get to something that's fair for the taxpayers who are going to have to pick up the bill for all this, these things that these unions have been able to negotiate. Do you think there's a chance that unions are going to be, you know, much less um, powerful as time goes? I mean, they're really, we don't need them like yeah. we used to when, when people were marching for rights. They have the right. That's, a, that, that's exactly right. We don't need them like we, we used to. Back uh, right. 100 years ago, right. when uh, right. factories, there weren't that many factories, the Industrial Revolution right. wasn't that, that uh, old, you had a lot of people looking for a relatively few number of jobs, and you're right, business could take advantage of workers, and there was a place for unions. That's all different today. Everything is back in balance. I don't think there's much of a need for unions. Right now, only about 11% of the total workforce is unionized. And of, of, if you break that down, about 7% in the private sector is unionized. And about 35% of the public sector is unionized. So because of this Janice decision, to get to Valerie's point, uh, because of this Janus decision, I think you're going to see a lot of people not joining the uh, union, and I think the uh, labor movement uh, is going to have to change dramatically, or these unions may not be uh, certainly not as powerful and may not even be in existence in a number of which years. Is which is amazing because that also adds to the power that the Democrats used to have with the unions. Yes. And now, you know, that all, only supports Trump. It only, you know, all of these changes add up to really a huge amount of voting power for Trump. Yes, it Absolutely. does. And I think that will continue into the future, giving him uh, more, more support. Now, just to be fair, let me give you the argument that the unions give – Get back saying why this real, Janice real decision quick, wasn't fair. Real quick, I want you to continue your point, but as of now, okay. Larry Kudlow 
even uh, updated the GDP to 4.2. As of a few weeks ago, we were at 4.1. So within a few weeks, we were at 4.2. And real quick, uh, consumer confidence skyrockets to the highest level in the 21st century. 2000, since 2000. <laughs> but continue with your last point. Sorry. And then talk well, about let, let me. Let me let, yeah, let me let me let me just say something about that. So the the uh, commerce department um, about a month after the quarter ends, so the second quarter ended uh, the end of June, the end of July they came out with with their first estimate of a second quarter GDP growth, which was four point one percent. At the end of the following month, the end of uh, August, a couple of days ago, it, August isn't over yet, but towards the end of the the month, they came out with a second estimate, and that's what you're referring to, and it said GDP was not 4.1, it was 4.2. I don't know if you recall yep. uh, on, on your show a few weeks ago, I said when the next revision comes up, I, I was a little more uh, optimistic. I thought it would be it was, it was revised up like even a, a little bit a higher. Half. It was like a week and a yeah. half when it went, you know, it, and I knew it was 4.2, but they said 4.1, but basically took a week and a half for them to come out with the report, which was just out yesterday or today. Like, I mean, it was just brand new a report, but go, keep going. Sorry. Mike. Right now. Yeah. Let me, let me just say, so the final number for the second quarter uh, growth will be out the end of September. So it was 4.1 in the first estimate, 4.2 in the second estimate, the end of September, you'll get the, the actual number for the second 4. quarter. 9. I think, I, I'm, I'm not sure it'll go that high, but it will be higher than 4.2. Then at the end of October, you get the first estimate for third quarter GDP growth because the third quarter ends at the end of September. The end of October, you get the first estimate. Now, that'll be 10 days before the election that comes out. The way I see the numbers now, that's looking at about a 4.5% growth rate. So you have two successive quarters of better than 4% growth. Um, and I think that will start to um, propel the uh, Trump agenda even further. And I agree with what Dan was saying. I think that the Republicans are going to do very well in the uh, November election, because yeah. uh, uh, in spite of everything that's being said, um, yep. as uh, was famously said back in the 90s. propaganda, just like Hillary right. Clinton was going to win the election, 98% chance Hillary Clinton was going to win the election, and we all saw uh, how Donald Trump won by a landslide. Yep. I mean, nobody trusts these polls. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the polls were, were off. Um, I happened to write a column and, two and, days and, and before quick, the Michael, the Michael, I, I want to say one more thing. The polls are yeah. purposely out, and by the way, and let's let's just face the facts. Ninety-seven percent of the media is controlled by liberals, and they purposely yeah. want to suppress voter turnout. Let, let let's not let's not get it. You know, uh, let, let, let's not deny that. I mean, that those are true facts. Yeah. But Michael, continue. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, w with all that, and you're right, the polls, um, are, have not been, been, uh, right. And I, um, I, I think they're continuing to be a little off. I think Trump's support and his approval rating, uh, is much higher in reality than, uh, what the, the polls are, are showing. And the point I was going to make 
was when people get into the voting booth and you get ready to pull that uh, knob or push that, that button, all these things go through your mind that you've heard about each of the candidates. But the most important thing is it's the economy, stupid, to coin uh, yeah. a, a phrase Bill, that we said. How you doing with Bill Clinton, famous quote? Right. So when people and as long as the economy is booming and people and we throw around all these numbers and it you know makes sense to us, but what hey. counts most to people is how much money more money do they have in their pocket and how much better is their standard of living and Trump is winning on those points. And let and let's face the fact right now that I found it very funny and interesting that NBC out of all polls. NBC, the most biased and liberal, came out with a recently conducted poll, uh, Trump at record high approvals. Uh, this was literally yeah. yesterday, despite all of the fake Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen stuff going on. The American people are still sticking with him. And that's an NBC poll. NBC poll. Imagine what it would be with an, a real poll that isn't biased. Yeah, the NBC poll, their their, their sample is, is biased, which is why they get the numbers that they 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 get. Um, it, roughly, it should be when you're polling, you should get about 40% Democrats, 40% Republicans, and 20% Independents. Uh, that's roughly the way the the country is. Um, they, with their polls, they have more than 50% Democrats, less than 30%. Republicans, and they still get about 20% independent. So their, their sample is what we call biased. They have a biased sample, and as a result of that, they're getting numbers that don't really reflect what's likely, likely to happen. Right, and we all know that, I mean, we look at what these polls entail, and, you know, I'm going to come out with my own polling company, and I have a lot of money. I can put a lot of money into my own polling company. It's not a fucking problem. And I see all the bullshit going on with all these skewed polls. We need honest polling. And I hate all of this yes. corruption. I hate all of these people that are controlled and basically uh, try to uh, suppress the voters. Which bo it really bothers a lot of people, not just me. So what we need to do is is really uh, fight back against this all the biased media because if you really look at what conservatives have against their side, they only have about seven percent. I mean, if you really want to look at how many uh, uh, of the me how much of the media is controlled by liberals, it's it's about not it's about ninety three percent. We only have about seven percent on our side, and that's not even uh, a hyperbolic. Uh, um, you know, estimate either. I mean, if you really look at all the mainstream channels, I mean, they are really uh, out for our uh, blood. I mean, they're out for right. our worst thing ever. I mean, you can you can even relate to that, right, Michael? Yeah, I certainly can. And um, the the last three or four polls that took a look at um, the coverage of Trump in the, that media always more than 90% of the coverage of Trump is negative. Negative. And, and negative. even with Not that, true negative. negative. Yep. Yep. Negative. Negative. And yep. even, even with, even with that kind of uh, uh, press, 
and the fact that every single Democrat is resisting Trump, and you even have some Republicans that are never Trumpers. So Trump has the media against him, every single Democrat and some of the Republicans. Even with all that, he's able to get some marvelous accomplishments and move the economy forward, move the country forward, move us forward in national defense, confront our enemies instead of kicking the can down the road. I think he's, uh, as as you have been saying, I think he's going to go down in history as one of the best presidents ever. Ever. Truly is a movement. It truly is a movement. Agreed. What, uh, Trump. Trump Agreed. is doing. It's a revolution, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. It, it really is. I mean, we're living in a new era. I mean, it isn't the Republican Party anymore. And I've said this many times on my show. It's now the Trump Party. I mean, you might as well make his own category of voting of where you're going to vote. You're going to vote either the Trump Party. I mean, because we have all these rhinos in the Republican Party that are such against us and they're against Trump. But you have all these Democrats in their own party that are pretty much stick together. It's interesting in that sense that we have so many rhinos, but... When, when you have when you're in the Democratic Party, you pretty much stick together. It, it's pretty. I find it odd in a, in, a, in a little ways, but yeah. at the same time, I uh, I don't know what I I don't know even. I don't know, that's Rory. Even a, I mean, you've got that you've got the Bernie Sanders way lefters, and then you've got the more moderate uh, Dems, and then you got the you know like the John McCain types that are kind of walking the line between. So I don't think they're as cohesive as, as it seems. I don't think they're as cohesive as, as, as it seems. I mean, clearly we aren't as Republicans, but I don't think they are either. And, and if you're looking at, you know, who they have, it's like basically nothing compared to all of the superstars that are coming up the ranks in our party. So um, yeah. I don't know. I think we're in a much better position. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a very bright future for the Republican Party, and uh, I'm even worried about the existence of the Democratic Party into the future. Um, I think the Republicans are going to do, as we said, very well in the November election, um, and I think Trump's going to win again in 2020, and the the Democrats are going to be in in pretty bad shape. They're going to have to make some major changes. Yeah, and, and, you know, I want to ask you, Dr. Dr. Butler, you know, you're you're a professional economist. You know, I'm I'm sure you're very familiar. You live in New Jersey. I know you know uh who Odell Beckham Jr. is. He's a great athlete, he's a great <laughs> yeah. football player. Yep. I respect his I the respect best. his game very I respect his game very well. He's now the highest paid wide receiver in the league. And now he yep. put out an he put out an article basically saying NFL players are treated like zoo animals. Um, when you're a multimillionaire and you're one, uh, you're the one percent, uh, and you're playing a game that you love in front of fans that adore you and worship you and look up to you. I can't see how you're a zoo animal. Can you speak on this a little bit for me, please? Did you say they act like zoo animals? No, no. Odell Beckham <laughs> Jr. Oh, no. Od- he said. 
NFL players are treated like zoo animals. How are multimillionaires that are playing a game that they love and that fans adore them and look up to them, how are they treated like zoo animals? They're getting the best job on earth, and they only play, what, 16 games a year? Plus the playoffs. I mean, come on, give me a break. And I all mean, that's they have the to do for it is stand up for the flag. And they don't. <laughs> they kneel and they disrespect it. And you know what? It's not about uh, black homicide because let's face it. Last year, it was less than twenty white cops that uh, killed uh, a black. Uh, uh, people uh, that were, you know, innocent, but half of those were justified. But it's not about justice when they're kneeling. It's about seeking attention because if they really cared about all the black crime and all the all the carelessness, then they would go to Chicago and they would deal with it and they would start these organizations and make a difference. But I really want you to speak on um, what I was just saying about Odell Beckham. Go ahead. Yeah, they're not. I think they're a little bit spoiled to the fact that they're, they're making mil- millions of dollars. As you say, they're, they're, they're playing a, a, a game. Um, they're, they're really living the kind of life that uh, a lot of people can only dream about. They're pretty far the from, from zoo animals. Yeah. They're, they're pretty far from zoo animals. I think he's way, way off base here. Yeah. I think and it's more it's, of a of an issue of groupthink. You know, you got one yeah. guy, Colin Pat Kaepernick, who decides to set a trend, and everybody just kind of follows. And he's not even black. And, Kaepernick has a white mom. I mean, Kaepernick yeah, just started I mean, this for but attention. I, but I don't think the majority of them even knew why they were kneeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably right. It's probably right. It's a really weird thing. It's a weird thing, and I will say that it's not – and, and Michael, you know, you're an economist. You know, this is not about – this is not about racial injustice because this is not about unfair treatment. This is about NFL players wanting to seek attention and basically defy the president because the president says respect the anthem – but these players want to say, I don't have to fucking listen to you. You're the white man. I don't want to listen to the white man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And really, you know, I, I think um, the NFL came down with a, a good policy. Um, look, you know, they say that we should have a right to free speech. So we should have a right to be able to kneel and do raise our fist if we want to during, during the game. Well, the response to that is, look, while you're working for your employer, your employer, uh, you give up some rights to free speech and some rights to even some actions. I mean, look at the, 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 the management of the football team. They tell them what they have to wear every uh, Sunday. They tell them right. wh- where they have right. to stand. They tell them if you, to go smash and What shirts they can wear. How telling Tim exactly. You can't kneel to pray. Right. And when you get in, in the huddle, you can't say anything in, in the huddle. In the huddle, only the quarterback can speak. So you give up your right to free speech in the, in the huddle. While you're working under your uh, uh, employer's uh, employee, um, you have to do what the employer says. All of us do that when, when we, we, we work. 
So the argument that they have a right to free speech while they're working, I, I don't think is a, a good argument. Um, and they really should stand for the national anthem if that's what the employer, your employer tells you to do while you're working. Now, while you're not working, if you don't want to stand for it, don't stand for it. But while but you're working. About, yeah. 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 The sad thing about that whole thing, though, is that. Go ahead. Okay, the sad thing about that whole thing is that it took the NFL over a season to to make that determination. And the thing yeah. is, I believe they made that decision based on the fact that their their um their um their fans stopped buying tickets because they didn't want to go watch a bunch of, you know, guys making millions of dollars a year Ignorant. whine and yeah. complain about not not being respectful to the flag and in some people's minds not being yeah. respectful to the military. And I don't believe that the NFL did it because they're so, you know, they have this great idea. They did it because they had no choice because they were losing so much money. Exactly. And, you know, I will, we have to go shortly, but I will make a point. Um, You're absolutely right, Dr. Michael Bussler. You're, you're a professional economist. You know, everything about business, you know, how employees, (laughs) employers work, you know, what, what the regulations are. You know, if your employer, if your owner tells you what to do and he's paying you millions of dollars a year and you don't follow it, just like the anthem bullshit, they should not have a job. I mean, these people are basically required by their employer. If their employer says stand for the anthem, you fucking stand for the anthem. It's not about freedom of speech, and it's not about standing up for rights. Because, first of all, if they really cared, they would go to Chicago and they would go to the hard parts and make a difference. But they don't in the offseason. And second this of is all, why Colin Kaepernick they, they, they want Yeah, they right. want to defy President Trump, and they want to see what they can get away with and what attention they can seek. And it's pathetic. And we know that, you know, at the, at the ultimate decision comes down to the owner and the employer why a lot of NFL owners are requiring these people – these players either stand for the anthem or go into the locker room until the anthem is over, the national anthem, you know, and which I think is great, which I think is a great policy. So if you don't have respect, yeah. don't come out. Perfect. Yeah, I think it's perfect. I think the NFL came up with the right policy. They're backtracking a little bit, but I think they, they came up with the right, the right policy. All right, guys. Well, we are at great time. discussion. I, I feel- I do got to run. Yeah. Michael, quickly uh, promote your stuff quickly in five seconds. Where can they find you? Um, you can find me um, a number of things. The easiest one is on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash funding democracy, facebook.com forward slash funding democracy. See, all my columns are for the last three, four years. All right, Dr. Michael Bustler, everybody. God bless you, Michael, and we'll have you back Take on care. next week. Thank you. All righty. Uh, Excellent, excellent. And I wanna I wanna thank everybody for tuning in to the show. Please visit visit the Donald J. Trump store.com, visit RorySodder.tv, visit getyourassbelt.com, and we are coming out with our new big media political empire next week. We have a new crypto site coming out. We have a lot of big stuff that is happening and we will keep announcing as the time goes on. Thank you to my guests, thank you to my co hosts. Thank you to all my advertisers. God bless you all. Have a great night. We'll see you next week.